Two realities hold most people from making progress in life. Two. Two situations that keep most people from achieving what they were born to do. Either they are chasing their past or their history is chasing them. Most people are stuck because they are constantly chasing their past. Or their past is chasing them. How deeply you deal with your past determines your life height. Your past is your foundation. Your yesterday is the foundation of your life. And how well you deal with it will determine how far you can go and how high you can go in life. We have all offended people. We have, I have offended many people. And maybe I'm going to offend you again today. Hallelujah. <laughs> we have said things we should not have spoken and done things we should not have done. But our progress in life depends on how well we handle our past mistakes. We've all been hurt. People have done bad things to us. People have said nasty things to us. But our future depends on how well we handle our pain and disappointment. The secret to living the life God designed for you is how well you deal with your past. You can have big dreams, high education, and even resources and opportunities. But if you have yet to deal with your past, well, I'm telling you, it will keep chasing you or you will keep chasing it, becoming a barrier to your progress. The past can be your best asset for success or your worst enemy, depending on how you handle it. Dealing with your past involved, involves two significant exercises. Two important exercises. Repentance and forgiveness. There is no shortcut. Repentance implies how well you deal with your mistakes. Your own mistakes. Forgiveness implies how well you approach other people's mistakes. Go oh, and these two things will always happen. People will do bad things to you and you will do bad things. Don't skip these two things in life. How you handle your mistakes and how you process other people's mistakes determine how far and how deep your life can go. Luke 15, 1 to 7. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he find it? When he has found it, he joyfully put it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. The Pharisees, who considered themselves righteous, complained about Jesus welcoming and eating with sinners and tax collectors. 
Jesus was sharing meal with these tax collectors, the people who were hated, cast out, and sinners. And then Jesus says, pay attention to verse 7. He doesn't say, there is joy in heaven for one sinner who believes. Did you read that? He doesn't say for one sinner who believes. And that's what we do. Sometimes we believe. He's not saying there is joy in heaven for one sinner who believes. He says for one sinner who repents. For one sinner who repents. He says that for a reason. To repent is more than just believing that Jesus is God. To repent is more than just saying sorry. But repentance is more. It goes deeper than just feeling sorry. People familiar with religion may consider repentance as the act of seeing the priest and confessing your sins. Others may view repentance as sorrow for your mistakes. You feel bad for your mistakes. And others may consider repentance as an apology. All these things might be necessary, but repentance is more than an apology, a confession, or a feeling of sorrow. True repentance is made of six unskippable steps. Unskippable. Each step is crucial in ensuring your past is dealt with correctly. Each one of them. Most people struggle with sin. They try to stop, but there is a power over them, pushing them to do it over and over because they skipped one or more of these steps. Sin's power and consequences are contagious and hereditary. Did you know that? The power of sin over you is contagious. And it can also be hereditary. It can go over your children and your children's children if you don't deal with it. So, for the sake of your children, your family members, your spouse, your community, and your own life, please consider taking your sin through these six steps. So, let's start with step one. Step one. Step one. Knowledge of sin. There is what we know as natural knowledge of sin. The natural knowledge of sin is the knowledge about what sin is and what sin does to the natural human being. This natural knowledge often sees sin as violation of laws that bring consequences from human to human. If sin could be committed and the consequences withheld, the natural knowledge of sin would not see why sin should not be committed. If you can do it and nobody is hurt, it's fine. That's what natural knowledge of sin says. The natural knowledge of sin says failing to meet the standard or missing the mark is acceptable as long as nobody gets hurt. The issue is that sin hurts people even if you don't see immediate consequences. Sin hurts people. You think today is not affecting anybody, tomorrow it will kill you and the people around you. And that the danger with sin, when you are doing it, it feels like you are hurting nobody. But one day, you'll realize you are hurting many people. 
sin is never private. Sin is never private. Considering that an act is sinful only if it affects others, it is dangerous. The natural knowledge of sin is partial knowledge of sin. It only sees what men can see, what humans can see. It only sees what humans can feel. It only sees what humans can condemn. That is the natural knowledge of sin. Let's look at the godly knowledge of sin. Godly knowledge of sin is a revelation of what sin does to God first. What sin does to God, and that's most important. What does sin do to God? And then God's interest. My sin, how does it affect God's interest on earth, in my family, in my community? How does my sin affect God's interest? The sinner. What does sin do to me and the sinner's interest? Other human beings and other human beings' interest. Sin is always consequential. And often, often, we don't know what those consequences will be. Godly knowledge of sin sees sin as God sees it and reacts to it as God would respond to it. The first step in dealing with your past is seeing your mistakes as God sees them. Godly knowledge of sin is the first step to breaking the power of sin over you. Do you see your sin, your mistakes as God sees them? But knowing your sin is not enough. Knowledge of sin should produce sorrow for sin. Sorrow for sin is the next step. Step two, sorrow for sin. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 to 11, I'll read from NIV. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. Sorrow for sin. In this passage, we have two kinds of sorrows. We have Worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Let's talk about the worldly sorrow. It's aimed at being seen by people. You pretend to be sorry. You want people to see how sorry you are. I really regret for doing that. I'm sorry. You want people to see that you are sorry. Often caused by external event. Caused by external event. It's led to hatred of self and may become so strong that it can lead to suicide. Worldly sorrow. You know who had this worldly sorrow? Judah. Judah was sorry. The Bible says that. He was sorry. 
He, he, he regretted what he did. But it was not a godly sorrow. Judah was sorry, 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 sorry to the point where he hated himself for doing what he did. Have you been there? Oh, yes. Sometimes Satan wants us to hate ourselves for our past mistakes. You hate your past. You hate yourself for what you've done. You regret it to the point where you hate being you. That's not godly sorrow. Judas, his sorrow was not repentance, but remorse. He just felt bad about what he did, and that's all. Or maybe that's where you are. You just feel bad. You just feel bad. So what? It's not enough to feel bad. God doesn't want us just to feel bad. Satan wants us to feel bad and feel bad and feel bad and condemned and condemned and condemned. God does not want you to just feel bad about yourself. Do you carry sorrow for what you've done in your life? Do you feel like you don't want to be you? It's not godly. It's dangerous. It is often acting as people expect in the circumstance. You know, once you've been caught, you know what to do. Mm -hmm. Once you've been caught, you want people to know you're apologetic. Oh, you change your attitude. You want your wife to know you didn't, you didn't mean it. So you, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you are not apologetic. You are pretending. You want people to see that you are apologetic. You are not. Because you want people to see. It can evaporate without anything having been done about the sin that led to it. It seeks quick superficial answers. I've said sorry. I've said sorry, didn't you hear me? Oh. Oh, I've heard that. I've heard that. They want quick fix. When it's a word, when it's a worldly sorrow, it wants quick fix. I've said sorry many times. Why are you treating me like this? Hey, because you did it. I'm treating you like that because you did it. Worldly sorrow won't to finish it. Let pass this. Let pass this. Let pass this. I've apologized. Yeah? Let pass this. Next, next step. No, 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 no. Don't take me fast. You hurt me. Give me time to heal. I will talk about it until I am healed. I will talk about it tomorrow again. And next week I will come back to you. You did it. Look. <laughs> Look. Repentance is something we ask. Forgiveness is something we ask. We don't deserve it. So when you ask somebody to forgive you, you are not forcing them to forgive you. You are asking for it. You need to beg until they give it to you. Some people don't ask for forgiveness. They, they tick a box. I said sorry. No, you didn't. I have permission to feel bad until, until I'm healed. And I will keep reminding you until I'm healed. Let God deal with me. Let God deal with me. Don't teach me how to forgive you. Oh, I, I don't know if you get this. Some people want to force us to forgive them. You want to force that person. To, no, 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 no. Don't force people to forgive you. Ask for forgiveness. And that it's up to them to forgive or not. But worldly sorrow want to force people to respond quickly. 
it's caused by the shame of being caught. If, if you were not caught, would you really come to say sorry? Oh, because now we know about it. You know, guys, I'm really sorry I hurt you. I'm really sorry. No, you are not sorry because you hurt us. You are sorry because we caught you. Yeah, because now we know. There's no way we'll go. You have to fix it. That is worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow. Let's look at godly sorrow. Enough of worldly sorrow. It's aimed at being seen by God. It is in the heart. It leads to hatred of sin. Ah, you see the difference. Not only the consequences of sin, but sin itself. It, it, It doesn't lead to hatred of self. You don't hate yourself for sinning. You hate the sin. You hate it. And look, not the consequences of sin. You can hate sin, the consequence of sin, without hating sin. Mm-hmm. You can hate what sin does to you without hating it. Most of our sins are enjoyable. We like them. That's why we do them. We like them. They feel good. They smell good. That's why we do them. Godly sorrow will lead you to the hatred of that thing, that thing, that thing, that thing. No matter how the devil tries to paint it, you will see it for what it is. Hatred of sin, not for the consequences. It doesn't lead you to hate the consequences. You hate it. I can see tears, and I've seen tears in my life. I've seen people crying, and I'm just looking. These ones are artificial. Some people are good at, at, at crying. In, in second, the tears that come from godly sorrow, you know it. You know it. Oh, it's good to cry before God. Because it leads to repentance and life. Peter cried. After denying Jesus three times, he cried. But his cry led to repentance. You see the contrast between Peter and Judas. Judas was sorry, but a worldly sorrow that led to death. Peter was sorry, but he was led to repentance. His tears led to change. How many times have you cried and it didn't change? Something needs to happen in your heart. It's not enough to know that you've made a mistake. It's essential to understand the damage your mistake has caused to you, the people around you, and God. The godly sorrow leads to confession. Because you are sorry, you're now going to confess. And that's our third step. Confession of sin. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's talk about worldly confession. It agrees with people to accept the accusation. You did it, yes. You did it, yes. I did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, case closed. I did it. Yeah, we did it. 
Yeah, I did it. Hey, that's it? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Like, yeah, we agree. You did it. <laughs> it is like, you know, you'll see politicians are good at this. They've been caught, then they come to a press conference. They come to tell us everything we know. And then, and then, and then, and then, thank you guys. Any question? Yeah, I've said it. Yeah, I've said it. Yeah, yeah, I've said it. Yes, that's exactly it. And then he leaves. Oh, we know everything you just said. <laughs> Confessing fact is not godly confession. You just agree. You just want us to, you, you just come on the same page with us. That's all. It is confessing as people want confession done. Saying what they want to hear. You just say what you know the person would like to hear and that's it. It is confession with every intent to safeguard the sinner's reputation before people. You will say everything trying not to look bad. And I sense people's confession. If you are trying to protect yourself in your confession, it's fake. People will come before you and say, you know, pastor, I'm really sorry. I want God to forgive me. You know, I'm not a bad person. You know, I'm not a bad person. I'm very faithful to my wife. You know, uh, you are not. <laughs> Confession should accept how deep, how corrupt you are for doing that. Don't come and just justify before God. You know God. You are also human. You know God. You can understand me. Life is tough. You know it's hard. You know. Oh, come on. You did it. People have been through the same thing and did not fall. You fell because your heart is corrupt. Ah, do you get that? People say it's because of poverty. And I'm telling you the truth. It's not because of poverty that people sin. It's not because of temptation that people sin. People sin because their hearts are corrupt. The, the same situation Daniel went through, the same situation Joseph went through, and they did not sin. Why? Their heart was right before God. We sin because we are corrupt. And when we go to confess before God, just accept the fact that you are corrupt. Okay, let's keep, let me keep going. It is confessing with the following questions in mind. What is the minimum that I can expose and yet be considered by people as having confessed all? What will satisfy, satisfy people's heart? What will make people accept the matter as settled once and for all? You see, there's so much cal um, calculation in this confession. You are trying to say things so that it can be said that you said it. And you say enough, you know, not all, enough that people will consider, yeah, he, 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 he's repented. Yeah, he, he's repented. But God knows there's so much that you are keeping to yourself. It is confessing with every intent to reduce the gravity of the sin committed. You will say everything you did, but you say, you know, it was not that bad. Oh, let us determine if it was bad or not. It's not up to you, the sinner, to tell us it was not that bad. If you've offended me, let me determine if what you did was not that bad. You know, babe, I'm sorry. But you know, <laughs> it was not. Why are you even laughing? Don't try to minimize the damage you've caused. When you are repenting, say it as it is and assume it is really bad. 
Let's deal with sin seriously. It is the confession of what people already know, or they are most likely to know, while all is done to hide what they may never know, like sin in thought and motives. Ah, We will never know why you did it. So if you don't tell us, we'll never know. You just tell us what we know. Yes, I did it. You lied because you intended to lie. Oh, it's lie. No, lies don't fly like that. We, we think lies. We plan them. Like, don't just, I've lied. Oh, I've lied. No. No, you think about it. I will say this, I will say this, I will say that so that they don't react like this. And if they ask this question, I will respond like this. You plan it, my friend. Don't say, oh, it was just an accident. <laughs> it is confessing in vague language such that what is seen may not be immediately apparent. For example, the thief might say, I took something which was not mine. Hmm. What is the thing? <laughs> something. The fornicator might say, I was involved in a relationship that does not glorify the Lord. Hmm. Hmm. What is that relationship that does not glorify the Lord? <laughs> it is a confession that intentionally leaves out numbers, dates, and other details. For example, the thief might say, Sometime in the past, I stole some money and do not know what happened to the money. Mm. Mm. Don't you really know when? No, no, sometime in the past. Don't you know how much? No, some money. Don't you know what you did with it? No, I don't remember. Ah, <laughs> liar. It is confession as a result of people's pressures. People are telling you, go say something. Go say something. Go make a declaration. Go say something. Okay, I would say something. I'm sorry. Because of pressure. It is confessing while making sure that the blame for the sin falls almost exclusively on someone else, even God. Adam did it. Adam, what happened? Oh, the wife you gave to me. Eh. So it's my fault. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think it's your fault. If you didn't give me this woman, this couldn't happen. So we share this, God. No, at least, at least 99% is your fault because you gave it to me. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly what we say. That's what we say in our, in our confession. It leads to the guilty person being accepted by people. So after you've said everything and people are, are okay with you, you feel good. Because you are now accepted by people. Remember, you are not yet accepted by God. It is confessing and exposing others with whom the sin was committed and spreading the guilt and the blame so that it does not fall solely on the one confessing. So confession says, why should I die alone? The confession says, let me expose all who are involved so that all of us are forgiven together. <laughs> I will repent for them. Say corporate forgiveness so we can all be forgiven. Yeah, that's good heart, isn't it? Co compassion, that is caring. The confession says, let me expose all these other parties and persons. It may be that because of them, I may be treated with mercy. So you make sure you mention their names. So when people hear that, oh, he was also involved and she was also involved. Ah, okay, we understand. This may be just a mistake because they trust other people who are involved. So you are not going to be blamed that much. 
You use other people to minimize the damage. Godly confession. It is confessing as God would confess if he were in the sinner's place. If God was in your place, he knows everything that happened, what would you say? Aha, now you know how to repent. What to say? Say it as if God was there and he's the one saying it. If we research more, are we going to discover that you did not tell the whole truth? That's how you should confess. Those are the questions you should be asking yourself when you are repenting, when you are apologizing. Say it as it is. Say everything that people don't know about. Dig deep. Bring the motives, the thoughts that led you to it. That's how we overcome sin. We don't overcome sin by painting it. We overcome sin by exposing it. When you expose it, when you say everything about it, it loses power in your life. True confession cancels the power of sin in your life. Secrecy gives sin power. It is confession without any intention of protecting one's reputation before God and people. It is confessing with the following questions in mind. Will God approve this confession as true? Will it satisfy his heart? Will it cause me to make progress on the path of being restored to God? It is confessing with no desire to reduce the gravity of the sin committed. It is confession not only of facts and words, but also of thoughts and motives that are sinful or part of the sin. It is confession while taking upon oneself the responsibility of the sin in its entirety. For example, if you contribute 1% to a sin and another person contributes 99%, if you, the person who committed 1%, is confessing, you should confess as if you sinned 100% and the other person sinned 0%. It is confessing while protecting the reputation of any person involved in the sin. Don't try to be forgiven together. Don't love me that much that you will expose me when you are caught. No, leave me alone. Let God deal with me. It's not love. It's not care. It's not compassion. It is strategy. David was caught. When you read David's repentance, there is no mention of the woman. Bathsheba is not mentioned in, David, in David's repentance. He, he does not start by saying, God, I'm so sorry. That woman, why was she bathing outside? That's why I sinned. Without her there, God, I wouldn't do it. I was just walking around the window and she tempted me. God, I'm really sorry because of her. No. There was no excuse in his repentance. It was, my heart is corrupt. Forgive me for my sin. That's true repentance. He never mentioned Bathsheba. People will come and confess, it's because that woman did this to me. It's because that man did this to me. It's because, no, don't blame even poverty. I've been poor in my life. I can tell you, poverty is not a reason to sin. We sin because we are corrupt. And I have sinned because I'm corrupt, not because I was poor. Even rich people sin. And they sin even harder. Yeah, they have access to tools to sin well. Keep the whole responsibility to you. It's you who sinned. 
if we deal well with our past, we will determine the height of our life. We will determine the height of our life. We are now spending money and time and energy going to see the counselor, going to see the doctor, going to see this, trying to reverse our past. You can't change history. You can only learn from it. You cannot change history. You cannot reverse it. You can only learn from it. Stop trying to change it. Maybe you are stuck chasing your past. That's what it means. You keep chasing your past. You keep doing the things the same things, the same mistakes. You know how the Bible say, says that is? It's like it, it's yucky. It's like eating your own vomit. <laughs> bad. You see how how it feels like it's bad. That's what the Bible says it is. When you go back to your sin, that's how God sees you. You are eating your own vomit. Hey, it's gross. Your own sin. Your own sin. <laughs> you don't want me to show you what you do. That's what you do. Your own sins. <laughs> That's at least how we appear in God's eyes. So my prayer is not to make us laugh. My, my prayer is that we will understand how, how gross sin is in God's eyes. Once you understand that, when you receive that as a revelation, you, you will start to think twice before you, you do it. Think twice before you say it. Think twice before you sin again, before you lie again, before you do it again. Think twice.